You are listening to an Irreverent Podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends. Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness. And we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. And this is Reverend Anna Galladay. And we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for all of us to get our hands dirty. Pastor. Dr. Robin, good morning, good afternoon, good day. Uh, it's a fall day here in Nashville. It is a fall day here, too. And I finally found my way into the recording room, which I was having a little hard time doing. Technology is our friend until it isn't. That yes. seems to be the way yes. of the world. So, yes. um, so we are recording today on Tuesday as normal. And today is election day uh, yep. in many parts of the country. Yep. Some of us have our eyes on... Virginia and New Jersey from a gubernatorial standpoint. Some of us have our eyes on New York and Boston and other cities from a mayoral standpoint. Yep. Um, either way, uh, again, today the world is on fire and politics is not going to save us, but today we'll, we will actually be paying attention to politics because, um, they are, it, it's, it's front and foremost in, in much of our minds at this moment. Yeah, and as I was talking with our friend Janet Edwards, the the mayoral mayoral campaign in Pittsburgh is revealing once again the racism in politics, right. and um, you know it's it's a question I have: Why are we so invested in electoral politics? Why not build community? Mm-hmm. And I think, as I think about our work in the world as theologians and ethicists, um, let's focus on our practices and our community building practices versus um, policies that are derived from belief systems that are inherently supremacist. Right. And yet... um Politics is the game that is played at the moment. Yeah. And how do we divest from it while also encouraging those who are deeply embedded in it to form a new imagination around what's possible? Right. That's what we do here. That's at what we the do. Activist Theology Project. Exactly. Yep. Welcome to our world again, friends. <laughs> well, we are really thrilled this week. Um, we are welcoming into the activist. Theology podcast, a best-selling author and activist and... A pretty major figure. Religious scholar. He is a pretty major figure. He is, um, he used to be uh, a seminary president. He's ordained in the African Methodist Episcopal Church um, as a United Methodist uh, pastor myself. Um, that alone warms my heart to have a fellow Wesleyan in, in, uh, in, 
conversation with us today. Um, and we're really thrilled to welcome uh, Dr. Obrey Hendricks to the Activist Theology Podcast. Dr. Hendricks, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're really thrilled that you're with us. Um, we gave a very, very brief um, uh, bio of, of your accomplishments and how people might know you in the world, but I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself, how you come at this work, how you've arrived at the place that you find yourself um, in, in the work right now, and, and just uh, give our folks a little bit of a better idea about you. Okay. Okay. First, let me uh, thank you for having me and, uh, and uh, <clears throat> thank my colleague, Dr. Robin, who has uh, been a, an activist for some time, uh, unrelentingly so. I'm sure the right wing loves that. Just following <laughs> in the footsteps before me. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do. But I um, I was born in Farmville, Virginia, where they uh, closed the schools rather than desegregate them. I was born in segregation. So one might say that I was born in struggle. And uh, we yeah. came, came north um, uh, to escape all of that, came to Newark and then to East Orange. But I, um, it's so strange and... Um, and, and one of both of you might relate to this. It's like I came into the world um, uh, upset a, a, a about injustice. And so I can remember, um, oh, I was put out of high school a number of times for um, protesting and that kind of thing. But I joined the Black Nationalist Movement, the Black Cultural Nationalist Movement as a street soldier, uh, as a teenager with Amiri Baraka, mm. the old name. And, um, um, and, and really that's... Those were my formative experiences. Um, and so I left the church uh, because we saw the church as as being counter-revolutionary, the term that we use a lot in those days in the 60s. And I, I left it you know, with great disappointment. Um, uh, years later, though, I came back. Um, I realized as I spoke at my father's funeral when I was 33, I, something struck me. I realized the church really was my site of struggle and service. And I came back to the church. I brought my, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the uh, sensibilities that I'd grown up with, which um, it's a long story. I laid them aside when I went to work on Wall Street. But let me explain real quickly. In my generation, we were raised to be a credit to the race. And our parents wanted us to be white collar professionals. Um, and uh, law school was too tame for me. I, you know, I had no medical interest or aptitude, but Wall Street back in those days in the 70s was wild enough and exciting enough. And I went and I uh, went there very glad because I got a chance to see what capitalism, uh, how it works and what it does to folk. Um, anyway, I left there and I ended up at seminary and uh, uh, a black woman, Dr. Clarice Martin, uh, finally convinced me that I uh, I realized I, I had um, skills of um, talent for a scholarship, but she convinced me that I could actually do a doctorate, which no one in my world had ever done, and I ended up um, bringing it all together uh, eventually and doing a, doing a doctorate at Princeton University um, with Elaine Pagels and John Gager and Cornell West, you know, I kind of class in their own right, and it freed me to become the uh, what I am today. Hopefully I'm a real 
Uh, I'm a dedicated freedom fighter, and, and, and the way that I fight is through biblical scholarship to raise consciousness and to disabuse folk of the, uh, uh, of the terribly oppressive uh, hegemonic, um, um, uh, nice way of putting it, misguided readings of the Bible. So here I am today with you guys. Yeah. Well, that's the kind of people we like to talk with and tussle and expand people's imagination. I know that you came out with a new book uh, recently, and I'm wondering if you would share a little bit about that book and what prompted you to write it. Yeah, my new book is Christians Against Christianity, How Right-Wing Evangelicals uh, Are Destroying Our Nation and Our Faith. And uh, what prompted me to write that book was uh, just you know, real sense of outrage at what right-wing evangelicals are doing to this country um, and how they are using the gospel um, and misusing the gospel um, to, uh, to do everything that the gospel teaches against doing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, of course, I have to, I engage Trump in that book. You have to engage Trump. He's almost a metaphysical source of, of evil, it seems like. Right, sometimes. right. Um, and so in the book, I look at the various ways that right-wing evangelicals are misportraying and misusing the gospel. So I talk about um, about how they misportray, how, well, they're trashing, they're actually saying, right, and you guys have heard this, that social justice has nothing to do with the gospel, which is pure BS. And so I have a whole chapter to lay all that to rest and to show that social justice, uh, looking at it from the earliest Hebrew Bible days through uh the, the gospel, social justice is the most fundamental ethic of the of the biblical witness. Um, when you look at Mishpat and Sadaqah, and uh, I, you know, I, I wish I could go into it more length here, but it's I really work hard at that. I work hard at at showing that they're um, demonizing same gender loving people, um, claiming that the Bible uh, says that same gender loving people is uh, are are sinful, that that is a sin, and I show that. That is so ambiguous um, when you really look at it, uh, look at those those texts, um, you translate them correctly and look at them in historical context. They are there. It's just so unambiguous that there's no we cannot affect anyone's life chances um, by saying that that they are biblical sinners. Not only that, Jesus said that we love one another. He didn't say who we love, what, who we should love, that, but that we just we should love. That's all. Right. right. We we'll work hard about that. I work. Uh, I show how they their um, their approach to immigrants is so so wrong um, and so mean spirited and so anti biblical. The same with the NRA and with uh, working against labor and working people and on down the line. Um, and so I, I really in, in some my purpose of writing it is to to do what I can. Um, the little bit that I can to try to fight against this overwhelming evil that is getting um, more powerful every day in this yeah. country. Yeah. I love that you have um, kind of positioned this book as the, a counter narrative to the narrative that so many of those coming out of predominantly white evangelicalism are, are kind of hearing from their pulpits and and quite frankly from their news channels on a on a regular basis um if you were to kind of name the story the biblical 
um, example? What, what's your what's your favorite example that you use in this book to illustrate the way that our text has been co-opted in order mm. to create uh, a methodology and um, a a a praxis for people that is is not at all what it was intended to do. Yeah. Well, right-wing evangelicals have excised from their Bible, um, love your neighbor as yourself, apparently. Um, um, and, and, and that's, that's, well, first off, Jesus says that that is equal to um, the first commandment, first biblical commandment. So they have excised the, the uh, really the, the primary teaching of Jesus from their gospel. And that is because when you look at loving your neighbor as yourself um, in political and economic and, and um, social terms, that it is about egalitarian injustice, wanting the same rights and resources and, uh, and, and love and freedom to be who you are for, uh, for other people that we want for ourselves. And also, though, what they leave out, they never refer to Matthew 25, 31 through 46, the sheep and the goats. Uh, which is what Jesus' um, uh, primary, if not well, it's, if not his only real mode of uh, of judgment that God uses and that we should use for one another, and that is uh, if you have loved um, your neighbor and tried to make sure your neighbor has enough to eat, and make sure they have um, what it takes for a decent life, then you are on the side of God. If not, if you have not done it to the least of these, you have not done it unto me. Then Jesus says, and you're going into hell. They take that out. Why? Because um, the judgment is how you treat people in the world, whether you try to do right. Not, again, where you come from, um, what you look like, who you love. They leave all of that out. And that's what I, I, those are, I believe, the core of the gospel. And and that's what fuels, um, and and, and that's the, 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 the counter-narrative, the biblical counter-narrative that I lift up, and it's not, of course, my narrative, it's the gospel's narrative. Right. <laughs> to show it so fundamentally um, and maliciously wrong. You know, they, they don't even try to reinterpret those texts. They ignore them. The ignoring of the text is not just problematic, but it also is harmful. I mean, as as we all know and have witnessed um, myself through the United Methodist Church in in real time and kind of right before my eyes, and um, I'm sure the other you and and Dr. Robin as well have. Um, experience things within your own contexts of the church that have been um, uh, where where narrative has been transformed to harm you um, or to harm those that you were working to serve. Um, what have you found to be the most pervasive sin that we are up against in the in our our mainline Protestant um, world mm. right now where where would you where would you sit us as far as um, things that we need to be paying most attention to mm, that's a really good excuse me really good point well I, I I think that we really need to be paying attention to basics and that is what does 
what does biblical justice um, require of us? I mean, the sin is that um, mainstream Christianity and, 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 and uh, to a much greater extent, um, right-wing evangelicals, um, they don't talk about justice. Um, they ignore what, what, what biblical justice means. They ignore the egalitarian uh, the connotations of, of, of biblical justice. And that's, I think that, that is the greatest sin. You know, when you ignore the foundational ethic of the faith you claim, uh, you claim gives you the right to dominate everybody else, that's just perverse and sick. Uh, and so they are, in that sense, they're anti-biblical. Um, those who ignore the, uh, the ethic of justice are anti-biblical. And Christians who do that are anti-Christian. Mm. Um, you know, um, they have an anti-Christ uh, mentality in that they're, uh, you know, what they teach is anathema to the gospel. And we need to call it out for what it is. This is anti-Christian and an anti, a spirit of anti-Christ that has pervaded this movement, this right-wing evangelical movement. You know, it has me thinking about how important relationships are. Mm. And the, the core or the center of relationships should be something like love and accountability. And it seems to me that right-wing evangelicalism has eviscerated any kind of relationality yeah. in their theology and are holding on to a concept of God that feels antithetical to common teachings of who God is. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, um, you know, and we can hear it in their rhetoric. Um, they right. talk about talk about freedom all the time. Freedom. And it's all about freedom and it's freedom in God and freedom in God. Well, the, 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 the overarching biblical ethic in that regard is not freedom, it's responsibility. Right. Um, to community, right? Uh, to the common good. They don't talk about the common good at all. If you talk about uh, the common good, they dismiss it with the dreaded S words, they call it socialist or yeah. communist. And, but, you know, um, as, as we know, it's that uh, in, in the biblical period, all the way up through the gospel, certainly the, the primary um, cultural approach was, was dyadic. It was about community. It was always, uh, you know, Jesus didn't talk about individualism. There was no notion of individualism right. uh, in the biblical, <clears throat> biblical witness. And so that's one other area that, I mean, they are libertarian Christians, essentially. They take yeah. no responsibility for, for, um, for the common good, good, for community, all. They made everything individual, uh, you know, through a, um, a really twisted reading of Paul, in my opinion. But what, yeah. however they got to it, they got to it. And they've gotten it, they've gotten it uh, wrong. So they support capitalism that way. Uh, they don't even care about taking care of the least of these, like Jesus right. said. It's sick and it's blasphemous. Amen. Do you uh, do you have a perspective that this movement around evangelicalism will begin to wane 
and we will kind of begin to find it um, trailing off as as our our politics and and, and our theology uh, become more robust around uh, socialist and 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 social justice issues? Or do you think that there is a pervasiveness and a profaneness within evangelicalism that will have it a part of our society for many, many, many years to come? Well, um, in the epilogue chapter of uh, Christians Against Christianity, um, I, I, I say in there that I, I have no hope for the leaders. Uh, these people are um, dedicated to, um, they are dedicated to, uh, they're dedicated to evil, essentially. They're dedicated to the exact wrong thing that they should be dedicated to. Um, and so um, I think they're going to have to die off because they are diehard haters, um, diehard um, oppressors. Um, and many of the, the followers, I, you know, I'd like to give them, I'd like to give them credit for being, um, for being just deluded, being good people who are deluded. But this is America and there's always been this stratum of racism. So what am I saying? I'm saying that there's always going to be a stratum of, 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 of hate for the foreseeable generations, maybe from right-wing evangelicals, because they've been empowered by the pre by a president of the United States and their and and many of their major leaders, but we're also seeing that young people are are waking up, um, seeing that evangelicals numbers uh, about evangelicals numbers seem to be dropping. Uh, polls polls show on the one hand, but on the other hand, I was reading today um, that PRRI, uh, and I sit, on, I sit on their board, PRRI released a poll that shows that even more people are accepting the big lie mm. today. So um, I, I guess the final analysis, we're always gonna have a fight on our hands. There's right. always gonna be this hateful, there's always gonna be racism, there's always gonna be homophobia. There's always going to be this um, uh, this um, imperial um, these imperial aspirations um, by right wingers who want to rule this nation, um, and we're just going to always have to fight them. Hopefully, you know they'll they'll lose power, but right now we don't see that happening at at, at all. Um, the young people are moving away, but they don't really have the power right now. So right. what are you for? This is a horrible, dangerous time for us. And most people don't seem to really realize how dangerous right. this hate is today. Right. You know, do you do you ever think about how these theologies, because I do think it's rooted in a particular theology and theoethical framework. Do you ever think about how these theologies of power and control take hold of culture mm. because the problem, the problem just isn't with our last president. It's with the ways in which right-wing evangelicalism advanced 
a kind of theoethical framework within politics that is connected to policy. They created conditions for someone like Trump to be elected. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we, how do we, you know, the activist theology project was born out of a concern for pressing social concerns. And, and we try to write the relationships in the world and connect the dots for people. And so can you connect the dots for our listeners? How do we compost these theologies of power and control mm. so that we can have a, a better theological imagination? Yeah, yeah. Well, again, I, I always, I, I see this, the roots of a, of a solution anyway um, in going back to uh, the source in the beginning um, and, and, and asking the question, um, what is the gospel about? I mean, what is the core of the gospel? What does it, what does it say? Um, um, go back to the Hebrew Bible and what are the, the basic, the foundational ethics that it gives to us? And, yeah. um, you know, most folk, now I, I, when I go around the country, and, and this is, it's been amazing to me, you know, most folk have no idea that Mishpat justice is the foundational um, ethic of the Bible. Uh, they, they have, they have no, no clue with that. You ask for what is the core of the gospel, they'll come up with John 3.16 when that's not it. When Jesus said number one is love, you know, love your God, all your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. So if we go back to the core of the gospel, and point and 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 I know that I, when I read some of these things, folk are are really shocked now. And, and if they if they are sincere, it will at least make them think. Those who aren't sincere, they want to hold on to what they want to. Right. We also to show on I show I think um, the uh, the similarities between uh, the priestly establishment that killed Jesus, yeah, and the one now that's killing his message. Exactly. <laughs> And also, and also the folds of violence from that, from, from, from what is killing the message, the folds of violence that are killing actual bodies. Yes. Through yeah. police violence, for example. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, um, and through, uh, with the NRA, through white ring evangelicals, uh, right. you know, supporting the proliferation of, firearms you know as we know and it's it's only because the NRA is NRA is a is a front for the gun lobby to, to get so they can sell more guns some more right killed right you know that, that so the prayer breakfast that they sponsored uh the the annual prayer prayer breakfast at president yeah. folks don't know that NRA started that to to support selling uh deadly weapons um, these are kinds of things that I tried to lift up in, in Christians Against Christianity so people would know. So, Dr. Hendricks, occasionally, uh, more often than not, people will ask me if I'm a Christian. <laughs> and I was evoked by uh, your book because the title is similar to that, similar to that question that people ask me. And mm -hmm. 
And I say to people, well, Christianity right now equals white supremacy and supremacy culture. Mm. I'm a follower of Jesus, Mm -hmm. but I don't know that I'm a Christian. Yes. What would you say to that question if someone asked you if you're a if you're a Christian? Um, well, you know, it, I must be honest. It depends on on the setting, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, I'll say, well, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't that I'm not that concerned about um, about labels, but. Um, I do know that Jesus didn't say to worship him. He said to follow him. Right. So if that's what it means to be a Christian, that's what I'm trying to do. But if you mean, yeah. do I worship Jesus as God when Jesus said not to do that and made distinctions between himself and God? Then no, I'm not that kind of, of, of Christians. I take Jesus um, gospel seriously. And uh, that makes me Christian. Fine. But, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into that other stuff because Jesus didn't even talk about any of that yeah yeah and 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 also the oppression stuff that has nothing to do with jesus you know also i am um, you know I, I go back to constantine as well and prior to constantine um you know um it was about it was well it was a faith of the uh, of, of of the oppressed and it was about um we would be judged by how we how we acted in the world, how we treated people after Constantine and all the councils he sponsored and, and, and all of the orthodoxy that these, these men um, codified, all of a sudden it became, it's not, what, the primary judgment is not how you, how you live and act in the world, but about what you believe. And, um, and so folk can ask, well, what do you believe? What do you call it? He said, well, no, that had, Jesus had nothing to do with that. That's, that doesn't right. come from Jesus. That comes from the, the the Roman Empire and and uh, you know these kinds of things, folk. We just have to point out to folk, I think, because they don't really know. When I think about your book and when I think about the the work that you're trying to do, it it reminds me a lot of the work that we are trying to do, which is separating Christian practice from empire religion. Mm, yes. And, yeah. and the ways in which empire and theology have been so braided together since the days of Constantine. Yes, yes. You know, that 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 is what's created conditions for this message to be hijacked in so many ways. What would you say to those folks who are trying to untangle Christian practice from empire religion? Mm. What What encouragement would you give to folks? Um, well, um, I think that if there's any good thing that uh, the reign of Trump gave us, it's that it helped more people see that there's really something wrong, uh, in, in this whole thing and really something wrong with, uh, conservative and right-wing evangelicalism. So that, so there's some... So there's some room to make a difference, you know, uh, perhaps. Um, and also we have more resources. Mm-hmm. Um, theologians like yourself um, and authors like yourself and so many of our colleagues, uh, there's there's so much more, um, so many more tools for folk to, to, to use. 
um, in in uh, in uncovering the imperial um, roots and the the oppressive um, the overarching oppressive tone of, of right wing evangelicalism. I think those are, are very important de- developments, and but also um, we on the the progressive left uh, have been greatly empowered in the last couple of decades. We we've seen um, a lot of theological courage and a lot of courage in in my view in, in biblical studies. Folk are are standing up. So you know we sh- it's we have a, a a hard road to hold, but we should be in, in, encouraged because we're, we're getting stronger, not not weaker. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, and I think that's I think that's what I would some of the things I would would say to them. I'm curious about the future of Christianity and the future of kind of a pro- a progressive or a justice centric faith that encourages us past the borders of where we are now that kind of speaks to this encouragement that you've just provided for us and our listeners. Um, Where do you think that encouragement is going to come from? Is it going to come out of our our seminaries? Is it going to spring forth from the streets and from the work that predominantly black and brown bodies are doing in the search for liberation that is then undergirded by the teachings of Jesus. Um, Where do you see us kind of pulling the goodness from, or where do you see the goodness springing forth from in, in providing that kind of encouragement that you've just spoken about? Mm. Well, I think it's going to come from those of us on the margins. Um, you know, um, look at look at, at where gay rights were 10 years ago. Who could have imagined? We're talking about um, constitutional amendments. Which, 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 I mean, who, who, who could have imagined that, you know, America would become, well, some parts of America would become, you know, that, that humane that quickly. Um, um, but it was from... The, from the untiring work of uh, LGBTQ folk. Um, I think that's, we're gonna see that. We're seeing a lot more activism from black and brown folk. Um, and uh, I mean, I think it's gonna to have to come come from there. And then, you know, also all, all young people, a lot of, a lot of young whites are, are really waking up now. They know this does, not, this does not work. What's going on now is not gonna serve them, you know, in the future. I mean, look how open they are to socialism now, according to the polls. So it's it's got to come, it's got to come from our efforts. You know, um, uh, the mainstreams is not going to do it. They never have. Um, <clears throat> um, mainstream Christianity, there's always going to be a, a white supremacist uh, 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 stratum there. It's always been from the very beginning. There's always going to be terrible homophobia, um, and we just have to contain it. Um, and, and, and we're going to have to be the ones to do it. We're the ones who are invested. We're the ones who are writing the literature, who are, um, you know, critiquing theologies and, and we're just right. going to continue doing what we're, what, what we're doing. We can't expect anyone else uh, to do it for us. 
Um, I, I don't see, I don't have a lot of faith in mainstream Christianity at, at all. I mean, after what I've seen the last few years, you know, if not outright um, hatred, then cowardice. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of through with it, to be honest with you. Yeah, sure. You yeah. know, and, and churchianity, man, except for, you know, some notable exceptions, it's really just wasting people's time and energy and resources and they're, and they're making them feel different without um, changing the way they feel without changing the conditions that they're living under. Mm. Yeah. Well, friends, we hope that you have enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Hendricks as much as um, we well, have. Conversation. <laughs> it was, but I think I think it's important that folks um, have a perspective around um, not only where the 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 challenges are, but also where we believe possibility can arise from. And we would encourage you to pick up Christians Against Christianity. Um, the tagline for that book is even more powerful, how right-wing evangel- evangelicals are destroying our nation and our faith um, by Dr. Obrey Hendricks. We will post the link to that book in the show notes for this episode. And we really do encourage you to take some time and, and spend some time with these words and these concepts. Not only will you get a really great understanding of how biblical teaching has been co-opted for a movement that is anti-liberation and causing harm for so many, but you'll also, I think, be encouraged by the work that is possible if we are much more uh, followers of Jesus than we are Mm. identified as Christians um, in the world. Um, Thank you, Dr. Hendricks. It's been a really, um, it's been a privilege to have you with us. I'm, I'm grateful that you took some time to spend time with us and, um, it's my privilege. It's my privilege. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, let me just say one thing. I, I think you see um, this tradition of black theologians, and I would include James Baldwin in this, where James Baldwin said, if there is a God, God is liberation. I think you see that in Dr. Hendrick's work and that this pointing from marginalized communities and from marginalized people, they're pointing toward liberation. And I think we need to pay attention to this narrative of liberation that it, that is coming from black and brown authors. Mm-hmm. And when we ignore that, we might be ignoring the greatest commandment that Jesus has given us. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so well said. So well said. Well, thanks, friends. We are grateful that you have been on this journey with us today. Um, we want to remind you to join us um, on the app at atporch.com. The Activist Theology app is a place where these kinds of conversations can continue in real time and we can um, be people who do this work together alongside one another. We also want to remind you that um, the Unraveling Your Whiteness course will be offered again after the first of the year. Uh, We encourage you to take a look at the information about that course on the Activist Theology website, which is activisttheology.com. 
follow us, support us, encourage us, send us your DMs and your tweets. We love hearing from you. Um, Dr. Robin, thanks for another great episode. Let's get free. We want to thank you for listening this week. We encourage you to share this podcast with your community. If you enjoy us and our work in the world, please give us five stars on your podcast platform. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.com and click on podcast. We can only do this work with the help of you, our listeners. You have no idea how much even a small monthly or one-time gift means to this work. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by Delta Ray. Our sound editor is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. I get my hands dirty. You are listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends.